Totally Football Show. Today, epic scenes in Europe. Where were you when Spurs KO'd the Kings of Europe? Where were you when Roma downed the English champions? That one's for Chelsea's defenders. We salute one of the great group stage nights. We ponder how hot is Poch after his ZZ stop and those new Auburn highlights. Should Pep and Sarri get a room? And what's Abramovich got in store for Conte after his Chelsea got owned by Romans in a whole new sense? Also, Claude Puel, is he any good? Comic Sands, changing positions, the weekend and more. It's the Totally Football Show. Yeah, hello everybody. Thank you for making Totally Football Show your podcast of choice on this day. Uh, You're going to be enjoying... A little bit of Michael Cox. Hello, James. Hi, Michael. Some James Horncastle. Hello, people. And plenty of that Julien Laurent. Hello, everybody. Right. We're on a bit of a high still. After what was a pretty exceptional, it felt to us, midweek of action in the Champions League. Michael, you actually watched it all properly. <laughs> yeah. People who don't like European football, what did they miss? Who, who are you talking about there? Well, just, you know, there are people who don't... There are those who say, oh, I don't like the Champions League. But yeah. But they missed out on some I stuff. I think we didn't should they? have the Anglo-Italian cup back because the the games involving City A sides and Premier League <laughs> sides over the last fortnight have been magnificent. True, true. Uh, although arguably the scene stealer of the last two days was the English club against the Spanish club, Spurs, doing back-to-back Champions League winners, Real Madrid, like kippers at Wembley. Jules, you were all over this. This game. I was, yeah. I was, I was, I was all over this one and the one two weeks ago at the Bernabeu, taking four points out of uh, the double European champions. It's pretty special, I think, tactically. Two different games from Spurs and two perfect plans, home and away, or away and home, uh, and everything worked so well for them last night, especially because you know they rode a bit their luck once again. The first goal, Trippier is offside, but it's something they've worked on before. That combination of wings playing wide. Trippier yeah, that goes in behind Marcelo, crosses the ball first time for someone in the six-yard box. The first time didn't work out. The second time, Dele Alli scored. The second goal is a Dele Alli shot deflected by Ramos. So they've, they've been a bit lucky, but they were still so much in control. Harry mm. Winks, who's Cox's uh, new um, favourite player ever, I thought was again you know, having a great game and, and even losing Toby Alderweireld for Spurs quite early on in the game. Didn't even like trouble them or anything. Musa Sissoko came in. Dyer went from midfield to the back. They still kept that three-four-three formation, and and it worked almost like if you know we didn't miss Alderweireld at all. Absolutely. And, and let's just remember, this is Spurs. This is the team that last season in the Champions League at Wembley was all over the shop, and didn't make significant signings. Probably the opposite over over the summer. Michael, what, what's happening there? Well, I think sometimes in Europe, you do see teams that uh, go into the competition for the first time just need a bit of time to get to grips with the pressures, maybe. It's slightly different tactics. I think we saw that with City a few years ago. were really appalling in the first couple of years, and then it just seemed to kind of click for them. I think Spurs, their players would probably be surprised how easy it was, to be honest. I thought, you know, as good as they were, they, they didn't really have to be close to their best, and I thought... Real Madrid's defending was incredible. There was a couple of moments where it just felt like Real's players gave up. You know, there was that incident in the corner flag when Kane won the ball for the first goal. There was that chip Kane had towards the far post where, again, it felt like Ramos just stopped running and was trying to block Kane when he could have just got the ball. And a couple of the other chances, I mean, Ali had a free header, which he probably should have scored for his hat-trick, where he was the only forward in in the box, really, and Real's two centre-backs just stood either side of him. It was... I'd say quite worrying, actually, from a rail point of view. You know, we seem to see so often these days that 
it can just unravel suddenly at clubs and, and they can lose faith in their manager. And I don't have any inside information about whether that's the case, but just the, the lack, lackadaisical approach of the Real players was uh, not something you expect for double European champions. No. But then again, it was something that we have seen before. And, and, and most recently on the weekend, the, the defeat to Hirona. Sean Lee saying, interested in the pod's thoughts on Real Madrid's fall from last season's lofty heights. Inevitable or preventable? I mean, there, there are various things here. The absences at the back. Uh, the fact that people like Morata and, and James Rodriguez have, have left and hadn't really been replaced, Pepe I think. As well. hmm? Pepe, people and forget Pepe, about of him. of course, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think depth is an issue um, because... Real Madrid got a lot of praise in the summer for basically sweeping up all the best Spanish under-21 talent. Um, but I think those players are not maybe yet ready to come in and be decisive for them in the manner that Morata and James were in the past. I also think they maybe thought that this season was going to be easier than last year, particularly given everything that was going on at Barcelona in the summer with them, with them losing Neymar, with how comfortably Real Madrid beat them um, in the Spanish Super Cup, how comfortably they dispatched Manchester United. Um, in the Super Cup as well. And maybe they got a little bit complacent. It's probably worth not going too crazy with the well, Real Madrid in crisis because last year at this time in the group stage, I mean, they almost got beaten by Legia yeah, Warsaw. Yeah. Well, and they were behind against Sporting Lisbon at yeah. home until late when Morata came on and, and saved the day for them. And they finished runners-up in their group and mm. obviously still went on to, to win the Champions League. Um, but this match day, generally speaking, for the Spanish side, is really poor. Only Sevilla won. Obviously, Barcelona drew away at Olympiacos. Olympiacos, yeah. yeah. It's the first time Zidane loses two matches in a row. And Leti against Carabao. In his long career as a manager. No, not long, but it, I think it's still significant. Mm. You know, that he, there was a defeat at Girona. And, and again, the yesterday, he couldn't, he couldn't change anything. I mean, the bench was poor yesterday. And, and a team like Real Madrid shouldn't have such a bad, well, such an, a young bench with no proven player really on that bench. Who did they have? Asensio? Well, it was maybe? a very young bench. Yeah, though. it was. Teo Hernandez, Boja Mayoral, Asensio, who's fantastic, Lucas Vasquez, Dani Ceballos, and uh, Jesus yeah. Vallejo. Now, all very good under 21 players. Um, but as we said, they maybe lack that experience that mm. they had in the past. And when mm. Modric is as bad as he was yesterday, which I haven't seen Luka Modric as bad as yesterday for a very long time, it, you know, he, he unrivaled the whole way the team plays. Mm. And, and if you don't have someone who can come in for him when he has one of those bad nights, yep. off nights, then you're in trouble. Well, Ronaldo's saying at the end, it's the ending, not the beginning that counts of the Champions League. And he is a man who knows. And I think we could probably believe that Real will be there in the mix. Will Spurs be as well? How impressed are you with the team that could boss this midfield of Cruz and uh, and, and, and Modric so easily. Yeah, very impressed. I mean, as, as Jules alludes to, I'm a big fan of, of Harry Winks. I think he showed a different side to his game here. You know, at the Bernabeu, he was just very safe, very comfortable in possession, but playing the, the kind of easy passes. Um, whereas in this game, the ball to Trippier in particular for the for the first goal was exceptional. And it was good to see Trippier having a very prominent game as well. You know, um, what Pochettino does is improve players. And uh, obviously they brought in Serge Aurier as a direct replacement for Walker, but they also seem to have benefited from the fact that uh, Trippier has improved from this time last year. I'm not particularly impressed by him last season, but uh, his delivery is consistently very good. And uh, as a wing-back in this system, that's very important. Absolutely. Salute to Oli Davis, who says, you're not a Spurs fan unless you feared the worst when Real pulled it back to 3-1 with 10 minutes to go. He then continued as the, the, the match progressed. You're not a Spurs fan 
unless if after beating the European champions you fear losing 1-0 to an Andros Townsend goal on Sunday. <laughs> of course, they're back at Wembley at the weekend, the same venue where they lost last week to West Ham, admittedly, in the League Cup. But yeah, Crystal Palace. Well, again, that makes this result all the more, not remarkable, but uh, important uh, for Spurs because well, they'd lost at Old Trafford against Manchester United. Mm. They'd lost to West Ham in the League Cup, throwing away that uh, 2-0 lead. They've now got Kane back, but they've lost to Aldo Ireld. But um, as I think Michael um, was touching on, some of the business that they did do in the summer uh, means they perhaps are better prepared, better covered than they were last season because Davinson Sanchez can play in there. I think we saw Dyer move into the back three um, when Alderweireld went off against uh, Madrid. Um, so even though Alderweireld is probably the best centre-back in the, in the Premier League, um, they should be able to cope. Albeit it'll be a very interesting game against Palace because that hasn't been an easy game for them um, in, in, in recent times. I think they they did the double over Palace last year, but uh, both of those games were won late um, with goals in the final 15 minutes. Uh, and there's only one goal separating the two teams in each of them. So, yeah, it, uh, it'll be a, a curious, it'll be an interesting test for Spurs, that one. Whatever happens, it's just been an amazing week for them. I mean, this is a remarkable result for Spurs. Yeah, without doubt. For I think... any club, but for Spurs. <laughs> yes, because I think um, we've been waiting for Spurs to to make an impact in uh, the Champions League. Um, you remember the group that they had last year. I think that was the, their inability to get out of that one, which was much easier than this one on paper, uh, made people pessimistic about them. And instead, um, they've they've surprised, or at least they've been able to translate the Premier League Spurs into the Champions League. Mm. Um, and that's a big step for them. All right. And they're in the last 16. Mm. As our Man City, best team in Europe, Jules. Yeah, without a doubt. We, we, really? We... I didn't think I was going to get that past you. Yeah, definitely. So if, if Man City play PSG, what happens? <sighs> I think City are still superior. That, does, really? that wouldn't mean they would beat them over the two legs, but yeah, I still think City... Because I remember on the pod after the, the Chelsea win at Atletico Madrid, we said that we were really impressed by, by, by Chelsea and I think Oxy said it was one of the best English performances we've seen in Europe for a long time. Mm. And now with a bit of hindsight on how average Atletico are and also Chelsea in many, in, in many respects, I think this performance from City away at Napoli against a fantastic team that you know, created a lot of trouble for City through the whole game and in, in the reverse fixture two weeks ago. For City to go and win 4-2 at the San Paolo is just phenomenal, I think. All right. I mean, if you listen to Pep, I mean, by almost knocking Napoli out of the Champions League with these two wins... Um, they're the best team he says he's ever faced. So, I mean, they're going to win the Champions League now, clearly, aren't they? Because you know, if Napoli are out of it, then everybody else is going to be Are you getting easy. a bit tired of Pep continually announcing, we're incredible because we beat the best team in, in the world? Well, I mean... Is he getting a little bit patronising? It perhaps? has. The last fortnight has been uh, between Sadio and Guardiola. It's kind of like, well, you're the best. No, you're the best. No, I'm the best. No, you're the best. And all this sort of thing. And it has got a little bit wearisome. Also, I think Pep... Uh, never tires of exaggerating or in in kind of exalting uh, either opposition players or yeah. opposition oh, he's managers. Own, he's own players sometimes as well. But he does say that this is genuine. He says, right. "Look, if you don't believe me, this is what I genuinely think. I'm in love with this team." And he got on their bus after the game, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. did. You know, by accident. <laughs> I think Napoli had only considered three goals at home the whole season, and City scored four in ninety minutes. Yeah. And they could have scored more, but First, Napoli could have scored more as well. It was one of those incredible that matches. That moment when uh, Calhoun was through, and Edison managed to tip his, his, his shot over, 
very significant. I think it was two two at that that point. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And and obviously um, City then went up the other end and and took the lead. Um, yeah. And Sally was saying that was one of sort of two pivotal moments in the game. The other being Goulam, uh, the left back going off. Right. Um, and yeah, that was when the momentum changed in the first half because for the first 25, 30 minutes, um, Napoli, I think, caused City more problems um, than they faced uh, at any stage this season. It was the first time City had gone behind since they played against Bournemouth um, in August. And remember... On that occasion, it was a wonder goal out of nothing from Charlie Daniels, whereas this was, I think, a, a team that for that period of the game outplayed City. Um, so I think it was a, a, a huge um, show of how far City have come, right. say, from the Monaco games last year. Um, because even though um, Napoli what, scored three goals in the two games against them, I think City um, played at a level and showed at some stage, particularly how they saw out the game last night, an element of control that they, they haven't always shown. Um, uh, well, certainly didn't show last season under Guardiola. All right, you were watching this game, Michael. Yeah, I thought the interesting thing was the nature of City's goals. There was two from set pieces and two from counter attacks. Mm. And usually, if there's a, a game involving a Guardiola team, it's the opposition who are going to score from set pieces and counter attacks. That's the only way to beat a possession side. And so it just makes me think that you know he knows how to play against a side playing possession football. It's a little bit more of an all round side than maybe we expected from City. It's not just tiki taka having seventy percent possession. If you're up against a really good ball-playing team, you can play more reactively. Yeah, and if you've got Sani in your team, your counter-attack is a mid-ideale. Yeah, yeah. But also, that was, that, that was the difference with the Monaco game last season, where they couldn't find another way of playing than the one they usually do. And Monaco, who is probably as as a playing team as Napoli this season, because this Monaco team last year was fantastic with the ball as well, and that's that's how, that's what troubled City the most of all of last season, and. You could have expected the same kind of result in many ways against this Napoli team, this, except that, like the boys have said, they've, they've gone an extra level in terms of they also have plan B and plan C and can play differently compared to last year. The details won this game. We're seeing City now get goals from their centre-backs regularly. You know, Otamendi two and three, um, Stones um, three and four uh, in the Champions League. Yeah, this was a weakness for Napoli when they played Real Madrid. Last year, they conceded two goals from corner kicks. And you know, Napoli, because they play a kind of tiki-taka, um, short passing game, they've got a lot of very small diminutive players. And obviously, I think one of the weaknesses for that team is if you can get a set piece with you know, players of the size and stature of Stones, Otamendi, that's gonna, you're going to have a natural advantage in that. And they recognised that and, and exploited it. Yeah. Sergio Aguero becoming City's all-time top scorer in all competitions in the stadium where his ex-father-in-law <laughs> used to play, so that's special. Slightly interesting thing about that is that he overtook Tony Brook, um, whose career was very sadly uh, ended prematurely by a car accident. Of course, Aguero's returned from a car accident to get the record. Interesting. On the goal, you see uh, Raheem Sterling waiting for the ball. As if Aguero in that position, you know, potentially beating that record would pass the ball to anyone, not just Prime Sterling, but anyone. It was funny. I think right. we've probably taken Aguero for granted over the years. I mean, he's he's never won an individual award during his time in English football, which is incredible considering he's scored so prolifically and so spectacularly. Of course, he's scored probably the, well, unquestionably the biggest Premier League goal of all time. But uh, it's nice to have him up there, you know, as City's all-time great. In fact, last few years, we've seen quite a lot of players become there. Club's all-time top scorer. We've had Lampard, we've had Rooney, a little bit before we've had Henri and Shearer. So, you know, relatively speaking, it's a golden age for club's all-time top scorers. Absolutely. Just to 
bring you up on one thing. He has won an individual award, the FSF Player ah, of the Year. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> um, important news about the FSF, the Football Supporters Federation. A little bit later on in today's show, um, Arsenal have the very great pleasure of visiting Man City this weekend. Jules, shall we ask you... If, Construct a scenario in which Arsenal come out of this game with something. <laughs> so, first the stats. I mean, the stats are amazing. I think Arsenal have only lost one in the last nine. Against Man against City. City. And that was last year when they took the lead with mm. Walcott at the Etihad and then, you know, went undone and lost 2-1. Um, in general, though, Arsenal away to the top six. Indeed, away to anybody. Yeah. But this season, we've seen them lose Strugal. at Stoke, lose at Watford. They got hammered 4-0 at, at, at Liverpool. The, 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 the positive would be that when Pep and City had to go to Napoli, you know, travel there, yeah, he rested some players because David Silva was only on the bench, for mm. example. Um, Danilo started the right back, which you think Kyle Walker will start the weekend. Wenger will play, we, we make 11 changes from the team that play Restart Belgrade on Thursday in the Europa League with a lot of kids and Giroud. And the team that's going to start on Sunday. So that's maybe the only positive I can find for Arsenal, I think. There's no, there's no stopping City right now. And, really? Uh, yeah. Michael? No, I think Arsenal could be exposed tactically here. I think with their back three against the pace of City's front three, Arsenal are going to have to bring the wing-backs back. And I think there'll be so much space in midfield for De Bruyne. Um, you, see, you see the way he played against Chelsea against a kind of five-man defence, always drifting right, getting the balls into the box. I think the only possible saving grace for Arsenal is that um, Mesut Ozil might be able to play on the counter-attack. And uh, in recent weeks, we've seen some... Good contributions from him on the break, and uh, it's the kind of game that might favour him actually, Özil. But like I said, doesn't run in behind enough, which I, I'm still struggling to understand. And I'm sure we've we've talked about it on the pod before. But if you have Özil in your team, and you're like I said, surely you think okay, and especially if you play against a team which have a lot of the ball and leave all that space in behind, you think, and he still comes short, it still comes deep, you know. He, I don't Back know, at Leon, was he? Would, would he do that? Or no, no? Never. But, but because they had a lot of the ball every single time, right. it was really rare for them to play on the counter. So he doesn't. It's not. It's not coming naturally to him to think. I'm gonna. I see the space. I'm gonna run in behind. I'm gonna make my runs diagonally, so I'm not offside, for example, and things like that. It's, it's not. I think he's working on it, but it's not natural, and that could be a problem because if Ozil has, like I said, coming short every single time and no one taking that space in behind, it, they will struggle to to create anything. I think mm. one of the reasons why Arsenal frustrated City last year so much is because. That was they took advantage of what was City's biggest weakness uh, going into the summer transfer window, which was what the fullback position. I think you saw Jesus Navas play at right back um, in in the games against Arsenal, put him up against Alexis Sanchez, and it was a big mismatch. I still think that's going to be an interesting side of the pitch uh, in this game because Kalasinac has been so good for Arsenal. Um, I think he's what been involved in how many goals now five um, and. Uh, him against Walker, who is, I would say, not the most defensively disciplined, someone who's very quick. I think um, that could be an area where Arsenal have some joy. But you know, let's not forget they, as Jules said, they took the lead at the Etihad before City came back and won that game. They went behind twice at the Emirates, but came back both occasions, showing kind of resilience there. And they knocked City out of the FA Cup semi-final. So. Yeah, again, yeah, this city, James, this city, yeah, true. It made the best I'm, I'm, start in the I'm trying to give a, a right. I'm trying to balance this out a little bit. <laughs> I love that stat from from Monday, that if they'd only scored as half as many goals as they actually have put put away, they'd still be the fourth highest scorer in the in the Premier League. They'd still have scored more than Liverpool. 
Wow. Yeah. They've, they've made 844 passes against West Brom, completed passes against West Brom. 844, which is the highest ever in the history of the Premier League. How do you make 844 passes in a, in a single match? It's crazy. City have conceded four goals in the last two games. Two against West Brom, two against Napoli. And of course, Sanchez, what a big fixture for him. Mm. Against the club that he could have been playing for, <laughs> etc. and so on. Yeah. All right, well, lots of other things to talk about, including what happened to Chelsea in the Eternal City. That's coming up after this. Listeners, there are more than enough weekly football podcasts out there, so here's a heads up about a new series that's got absolutely nothing to do with tactics or net spends, and we'll even try and get through this promo without any further allusions to the beautiful game. Unburnable is a new podcast by the award-winning producers at Radio Wolfgang. It tells the story of two environmental groups who've taken the Norwegian government to court in a bid to halt their recent decision to allow oil drilling in the Arctic. Climate change, it's a serious business, especially in Norway, where things aren't helped by Nicholas Bentner, who's quite literally on fire as he gets his career back on track at Rosenberg. 17 goals in 26 games. Wow. Anyway, you can discover this great new podcast by searching for Unburnable on Audioboom, iTunes and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find out more at savethearctic.org. Strider444 says, Has this been the best Champions League group stage in recent times? Often it's just a formality that big teams qualify, but not this year. Isn't that so very true? Teams struggling. Dortmund, for example, they've had their problems against Real Madrid and, and Spurs, but also against Apple Nicosia. A couple of 1-1 draws and now pretty much no choice, chance of uh, making it to the, the round of 16. The Bundesliga in general, just disastrous. You know that the year, I know the five-year ranking is what UEFA do their coefficient on, but specifically on this season, they are ranked where in Europe? Bundesliga sides? Seventh. Eleventh. Eleventh. Oh, wow. I mean, in the Europa League, it's a disaster. In the Champions League, apart from Bayern, who got a bit lucky at Celtic on Tuesday, yeah. it's a disaster as right. well. It's, it's, I mean, I think there's a point where, you know, telling your players only to attack and never to defend has its limits, especially when you play Is that the German way? They never defend in the Bundesliga. It's, it's great to watch and it's very open and everything, but they just can't defend it. And as soon as you play against teams so well organised, like in the Champions League, or even in the Europa League, because Hoff, Hoffenheim, Cologne, even Erta Berlin are not in strong groups in, in the Europa League either and they just can't win. Right. By the exception, as you mentioned, with a 2-1 victory at Celtic, booking their place in the knockout stages. But somewhat fortuitously, Celtic unlucky not to get at least a point out of that game. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, the usual from them, 5-0 against Feyenoord. Monaco, though, still win- winless. A 1-1 draw for them away in Besiktas. Yeah, Are Besiktas through yet or not? Uh, almost. Uh, almost, yeah. No, almost not through. just yet, but I think they managed just one point, maybe. OK. Barcelona, you mentioned James couldn't score at Olympiacos. Atletico Madrid are almost out. In Chelsea's group, they have had 74 shots so far in the Champions League. How many goals have they scored? Two. Two. One a penalty. One a penalty, yeah. That was a real surprise. So they were at home to uh, Carabag, who'd held them to a goalless draw in, in Azerbaijan. But we all thought it was going to be very different this time around in, in Madrid. But no. No, no, and they played badly. They... Um... 
they created some chances towards the end. They played for for half an hour with eleven men against ten, but even then they, they they were not even that superior. I think there's, but again I think we talked about it on the pod. It looks like the end of a cycle for them. They're struggling to score. They defend the defending, which was their main asset before mm. their strength is terrible. Now they conceded in the last ten goals. They've conceded seven have been headers. They can't defend crosses, right. whether that's set piece or crosses in. Is that old age or is it burnout from the kind of Simeone way? Both, I think. Really? And also your key players like Godin, like Griezmann, like Gabi, who just not playing well. Remember they had the transfer ban in the summer. And That's true. They're having to wait for, for Costa and Vitola to come in in January. But, um, but they still should do better even yeah. with the players they have. Mm. You know, it's crazy. All right. Well, at least they didn't lose 3-0 in Rome like Chelsea did. <laughs> Let's salute Eusebio Di Francesco, who is putting together an absolutely brilliant run. I I didn't expect him to hit the ground running like this in the Eternal City, James. You? No, I think there was a lot of scepticism about him um, because um, Spalletti had set the bar very high, club record points total, and they lost key players um, in the summer, uh, like uh, Chesney, Salah, Salah um, and uh, Rudiger, who had mm. a nightmare <laughs> yeah. in this game. Um, but uh, yeah, best possible start for Roma, and what a goal um, from uh, El Shawari, who um, didn't uh, look like he was going to feature all that much, um, certainly didn't last season under, under Spalletti, and... Uh, he got his first goals of the season against Udinese, another brace. And uh, he'd been having an ankle problem uh, before that game. And the physio was working on it in the dressing room. And then uh, Francesco Totti, who's now a director, comes in and basically tells the physio to, to go away. Starts laying his hands on El Shirari's ankle. And lo and behold, you know, he hasn't really looked back ever since. Yeah. So, yeah. A brace. Yeah. A brace. Uh, it's another lethal weapon, isn't it, for a team that's already got... Plenty of attacking force there in Edin Dzeko. Moment of the midweek, possibly, was when Edin Dzeko ushered three <laughs> three Chelsea defenders over to one side, leaving the entire field open for Diego Perotti. Um, Chelsea's issues, and it's what one clean sheet in eight now, which this is an Antonio Conte football team. That's pretty remarkable stuff. This was their worst offensive performance yet. It was a funny thing with Chelsea last season where they initially switched to three at the back and kept, I think, eight clean sheets in a row. But then there was a spell in spring where they didn't keep one for nine games or oh. something. So there is some inconsistency. But to be fair, in that run, they were conceding one a game. They weren't conceding three. Yeah, I thought Chelsea were really poor here. I think... Um, the back three looked all over the place. I think Fabregas's positional indiscipline was a, a big problem. And I think the most concerning thing for Chelsea was they just really looked short of fitness, to be honest. There was a couple of incidents um, when Pedro went clear in the first minute and then Hazard went clear about 10 minutes in when Fabregas put, put the ball in for him. And I thought they're just going to sprint away from the defence and score, but they just didn't have that extra burst. And you saw that replicated all across the field. As Piliqueta, I thought, looked really sluggish for, you know, such a dynamic player. And, uh, yeah, it was a really poor performance. I mean, this group is slightly weird because, obviously, it's Leicester almost out. But they absolutely battered Roma in the first game and drew 0-0. So mm. it's just, I mean, I thought from that, and then when Chelsea went to Atletico and, and won, um, it was going to be very clearly Chelsea, Atletico, Roma. I don't quite know how, how Roma have emerged as 
But they're only one point clear of Chelsea. For, for sure, but I, I thought Roma would struggle to go through from this group. Yeah, yeah. and that was that was the focus of a lot of the questions um, in, in Di Francesco's press conference last night. Is that what a transformation over the last six weeks since that um, Atleti game? And also, I think one of the things that was quite remarkable was that if you look at the goals, um, El Shuari's is a is a wonder goal. You could say Diego Perotti is a wonder goal as well. El Shuari's second one really comes from a bad Rudiger mistake. Um, What's been remarkable about Roma in the last six weeks is how well they've defended um, and how well they've pressed. Uh, because you know, we mentioned in the preview to this game that um, Dzeko hadn't scored for four games, um, in the league at least, and I think uh, they hadn't scored a goal from open play um, in the league in three games. It's called a, a penalty kick, a free kick and a co- uh, from a corner kick. And yet against Chelsea, they've put six past them in two games um, which really, I think, asks a lot of questions uh, about uh, about Chelsea at the moment. One of the one of the answers that people are, are touting for Chelsea's issues is, is is the fact that Conte keeps changing at the back. The stats are seventeen matches so far this season, nine different combinations. Only once has Conte retained the same back three from one game to another, which might explain why there's not any great uh, confidence in the way they're playing they they do seem to be a little bit confused about for example the um the goal that antonio rudiger let fly past him <laughs> i mean that was uh, an incredible lapse um or just a, a misunderstanding from him he felt the need to apologize afterwards for how he played I think they've got more options at the back than they had last year with uh, Rudiger and Christensen. I think one of the major issues that they've got is is Moses' injury, um, which uh, Conte keeps going back to, um, is meaning that I, I think he's unsure, really, about what to do in that position because they brought in Zappacosta last minute. Zappacosta's played that position in Italy but still seems to be acclimatising, if you like, to playing Premier League football and Champions League football. So, yeah, he's sort of fiddles between putting Aspiliqueta there, sometimes Rudiger there, and that, I think, is all having an impact on the back three. But I think the major problem why that back three is looking more and more exposed is there is no Kante in front of them. And I think that's that that's still a major issue. And injuries for Chelsea have been an issue all season. Yeah, I agree really with your point about the familiarity between the players because that's what Conte was all about last year. They'd work on shape every single day in training. And just little things like, for example, you know when... Um, when Terry went off after 26 minutes on the last day of last season and people said, well, why don't you keep him on for 88 minutes and then sub him at the end? It was because Conte wanted to play his first choice 11 for as long as possible ahead of the cup <laughs> final the next week. In the end, they lost. But, you know, that's his theory. Um, just one more point about Roma. I think this is actually quite a good sign for Italian football. And I know, like, last five or six years... You two have been saying, oh, Italian football's coming back, Italian football's coming back. And I never quite believe <laughs> Any it. Any time now. I never quite believe it. But this time, I think the main thing that's been holding Italian sides back in European competition over the last five or six years, they haven't played at a high enough tempo because Syria has a slower pace. And it looks like sometimes, you know, when Tottenham had that last Champions League season or in 2011, that season where they beat Inter, they beat Milan... The Gareth Bale games. Yeah, yeah, those teams just couldn't live with a high a high yeah. pace, you know. And now you see Napoli pass the ball at a quicker speed than I've ever seen any team play. Yeah. Roma, these two games, particularly the game at Stamford Bridge, actually, they came out pressing really high and Chelsea looked like they couldn't live with that. Obviously, Juventus, Juventus, they have no problems with the tempo. They've been up there um, for the last few years. But I, I, I'm kind of on board. <laughs> Yeah. I'm kind uh, of on board with it. I, I think well done. if you look at the league, I mean, there's, there are two arguments about its kind of competitiveness because um, 
the top six just win all the time. But I think it, it, they all believe that they can either get into the Champions League and there's a, there's a new Champions League spot, remember, this year, or they can even win the league, certainly you know, in, in Napoli and, and Roma's case. And they are, they are playing at a pace where they're, they're looking to win every game all the time, which I don't think you know, they, they could afford to be complacent maybe in, in other years. I think that kind of, that has ingrained the mentality, which is in turn helping them in the Champions League and the Europa League, and that's why Serie A, I think, is second only to the Premier League in the coefficient this year in, in, mm. in how well their teams are doing. That's can't, right. wait, can't wait to have no Italian teams in the quarterfinals. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just been confirmed that Goulam has ruptured his ACL. Oh, right. Right, you see, okay. <laughs> Jules. That's amazing because he played on no, for about five minutes, yeah. didn't he? So I thought he was just. A Minor thing. Yeah. My point on Chelsea, oui. why is David Luiz still playing in this team? I don't know. When he oh, came really? back last year, yeah. I said that he was a worse player than when he left the first time to Paris and I got abused because for three months he did okay in mm. a role, by the way, where he had no defending to do. Mm-hmm. He was only a sweeper. I think a lot of people could be sweepers, even including the four of us in a team like Chelsea last season. And now he's playing like my nan. And I think he's just... <laughs> It's just terrible. And I don't know why. have the same perm. She turns 90 next week. <laughs> she has the same hair as him. And I can't believe... Does a, your nan a manager genuinely like exist? Or is she kind of no, no, she does. Just she's, to make she's, a point. She's 90 on November the 11th. Oh, okay. And I love her dearly. Yeah. But, but my word, why team? is David Luiz still playing in this team where Christensen is a... Really? Is he that bad? Oh, I, I thought... I think that this season has been dreadful. All right, Jules. Tell me what you think about this. Chelsea are four points ahead of Atletico Madrid. They face Atletico Madrid next time in the Champions League. That's going to be a big game, isn't it? Before that, though, this Sunday, they've got United. Kante should be back, we hear. So you've got Kante, a Conte, against a controversial figure of their former boss, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yeah, what a game this is going to be. Uh, Conte has to be back because, like, James has said it's not the same when he's when he's there and when he's not there for the whole balance of the team not just defensively but also going you know going forward I think um, do you play him with Bakayoko what do you do with Fabregas would you play Fabregas in a, in a bit higher in a higher position than, than in midfield like he's not been good enough recently it's, it's going to be fascinating is this going to be one of those games well, I think, you know, we've just been speaking about Chelsea that defence being exposed how important it has that they have Kante back but uh, remember in the summer, there was so much consternation that Chelsea sold Nemanja Matic um, to Manchester United. Um, Matic, who scored against Benfica in what, my peripheral vision on, on, the, on Wednesday night. Um, yeah, I thought that the way they won the Spurs game was quite illustrative of just how Mourinho goes about these games. In fact, we, we rehash this all the time. But I think the goal told us quite a lot because uh, it was what a long ball from De Gea flicked on by Lukaku, Martial scored it. And when you play that kind of football, long ball, it means that you can, you can be a, a threat without losing your defensive shape at all. You know, because basically if they lose the ball, they're all in the, they're all in the kind of uh, banks of four and very difficult to break down. And I think that just kind of sums up Mourinho's attitude in, the, in these games. Mm. He would, he would love, I'm sure, to get a result here against his former side, against Conte, the man he told off for over-celebrating <laughs> in that 4-0 yeah. Yeah. last Jude, season. Judas number one is what he called himself, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. I think the interesting thing here is uh, how United cut with Eden Hazard because in the two games uh, earlier this year they tried to man-mark him usually with Ander Herrera. The first one it went disastrously wrong and uh, Herrera was sent off 
And the second time it worked brilliantly and, and Hazard was completely nullified. And I think if Chelsea do leave Fabregas out, as I expect him to, I think they're really dependent upon Hazard for creativity because you don't get much of that from Bakayoko or Kante. Pedro's a player who wants to run in behind, really. So uh, I think United will do a job on Chelsea, so to speak, here. A, what kind of job? A kind of a kind of very nil, bo- nil, yeah, nil very type. boring one nil, probably like we saw last week, and uh, maybe some subs involved, maybe a late goal. But uh, I mean, the, the only thing to say in, in mitigation is United have a terrible record at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, one uh, wins, one, one in the last fifteen, I think it is. In the yeah, league. yeah, one one victory there since nineteen ninety eight. It's incredible. Yeah, Although, bogey. to be fair, even even before Chelsea were good, mm. they were always famously United's bogey team. So. I suppose that kind but of talent. Moyes didn't win there. Van Gaal didn't win there. Mourinho hasn't won there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it will be quite curious if, if this trend continues. If United, um, scoring late, 21% of Premier League goals in the last 10 minutes have been scored by Manchester United. And uh, and as Jules was mentioning with Martial, they've got more goals from substitutes um, than any other team um, with, um, what, seven goals and four assists. So um, it shows that they have weapons in reserve that can change games late. But, uh, yeah, I would imagine it would be quite a stodgy game, this. That's coming up on Sunday, as well as other games, which we'll talk about after this. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook and check us out at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hey, listener, if you haven't heard the latest episode of The Totally Football League Show, you haven't heard Ivor Heller, one of the founding members of AFC Wimbledon, talking about a crazy decade and a half with the Dons. Anyone that's involved in running a football club has to be aware of the circumstances around them and try and make the best of the circumstances that you've got. You know, we are a small club, a small fish in a very big pond. We've been punching above our weight, but that's something that Wimbledon does, so we we will always look to do that. We're never going to look to be Man United or Chelsea or anything like that, ever. That will never be for us. So we always have to punch above our weight to succeed. And whether you like it or not, football clubs are about succeeding. If they don't, if you're not succeeding, you're going to go backwards. So we hope to keep succeeding. That's the Totally Football League show. The FSF Awards. Uh, Their shortlist has been announced, Michael. Oh, yeah. Yep. I'm going to be presenting what's sure to be a wonderful and in no way awkward evening (laughs) as we celebrate the wonderful work of the Football Supporters Federation and... uh, Everything they're doing to uphold the interests of people who the game is actually about the fans. Uh, you can vote for your favourite blogger, newspaper, website and podcast at fsf.org.uk slash vote. Uh, we've got a totally... Hey, Jules, we're going off to Birmingham next week. Can't we're going to be totally football, totally live in Birmingham with you, Jules, you, James, me, and Ian McIntosh and producer Ben. That's at the Glee Club. There's... Handful of tickets now, if you've got very big hands. Last few tickets anyway, glee.co.uk. Other news, I'll be on TalkSport, apparently, on Friday at 2 o'clock with Hawksby and Jacobs, if you're very, very short of something to do. Also, I'll be appearing in the uh, noted Truth and Movies uh, podcast the sometime. Truth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'll, In which I'll be discussing a killing of a sacred deer, the new Yorgos Lanthamos harrowing film, Michael. The most disturbing film I've seen in a long time. I had to have a, genuinely a lie down after watching this, The Killing wow. of a Sacred Deer. And also, uh, horrifying in a quite different sense, uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, 
update on Murder on the Orient Express. Which you were not you were not so keen on, were you? Well, it's a great family movie for Christmas because it's a giant turkey. <laughs> That's my one-line review. Uh, anyway, all those things to come. Jules. Yes, You're not I, done with the Champions League, are no, you? No, no, just one, one last thought, because I thought that was really interesting. Could you tell me what Merton, Suarez, Aubameyang, Messi, Cavani, Lukaku, Jacob, Benzema, Griezmann, Kane and Morata had in common this week? Didn't have a shot on target? This, no, but you're not far at all. It's simpler than that, even. They didn't have a shot? Didn't have a goal. I didn't have a goal. Yeah. It's rare for all mm-hmm. the strikers. Only Higuain, uh, CR7 and, and Aguero from the recognised strikers scored. Yeah. Of a Tuesday and Wednesday, we which saw missed penalties as well. We saw missed penalties, Lukaku a lot of missed chances, and and the goals have to come from somewhere else. And it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's it's not a surprise to see that the teams have done really well who had other options to score goals than than the teams with all those strikers, like Barcelona, for example, with a very poor nil nil draw at Olympiacos. That uh, Man United penalty, the first one against mm. Paul, what's his name, Milo Milos Vila. Vila, yeah who'd been the unfortunate protagonist of the, the first leg. And in this one, he becomes the youngest player to ever save a penalty, but then becomes the youngest goalkeeper ever to concede an own goal in, in embarrassing circumstances. <laughs> oh, he was so unlucky. I really felt really unlucky. sorry for him. It hits the post, it he, rebounds off the back of his head into the net. Yeah, He's a wonder, he's a wonder kid, though, so he, he will have a great career. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, he didn't it's look bit, shaken at all by no, either no, of these things, it's a, which is remarkable. It's an unfortunate double mistakes if you want between the, the the two games but he's an incredible talent and he will be he will be sold very soon for a lot of money from I mean, they've got a good eye for a goalkeeper of Benfica when you yeah. think of Oblak and Edison definitely Edison making that crucial save from Cajon last night here comes Michael Cox a uh, funny thing about this is uh, he's Belgian but he's of Serbian descent and when he was thinking about which club to join in the summer uh, someone gave him Nemanja Matic's phone number and he phoned up Matic and had a conversation with him Matic had been at Benfica and said yeah it's a great club go there and then you know Matic was the one who profited from his <laughs> error Funny how it turns and, out, eh? And just to finish on oh, Zvela, yeah. his dad, yes. he's yes. the oldest, who was a goalkeeper as well, professional goalkeeper, played in Belgium. That's why Zvela was born in Belgium and now plays for Belgium. Was the oldest ever goalkeeper to play in the top flight in Belgium. 44 years and four months or something. Really? Yeah. Mm. Oh. On Sunday in the Premier League, we mentioned Spurs hosting Palace. You've got those other games, the Man City Arsenal one and uh, Man United visiting Chelsea. But Everton also have Watford. This is a big game. Ahead of the international break, could leave, I believe, could it leave Everton in penultimate place? And it could leave Watford, could it leave them in the top four? Almost. Could almost leave them in the top four. <laughs> so, um, what's going on with Everton? The, the situation, David Unsworth, is that all. And what's going to be in charge this weekend? Yeah, and then they've got the international break, which is generally seen as the ideal time to bring somebody in and people keep saying that it might be Sean Dyche who, who makes the hop across from Burnley. Yes, I mean, it, it's a good opportunity for them to uh, have a chance meeting in a corridor, isn't it? That's so, true, I suppose. Yeah. That's true. There are those who say, Mike, I, I can't remember if you're one of them, yep. that this squad is uniquely unsuited to a Dycean football outlook. Yeah, I, th- I think I've said that before. I mean, I'm not saying that Dyche can't adapt, but there's no experience... Sorry, there's no evidence that he does want this kind of player in his team. So, personally, I'd be uh, holding out for other options. All right. A Nuno Espirito Santo, perhaps, who's at Wolves yeah, yeah. doing brilliant things. Yeah. You're a fan, aren't you, Jules? Are you a fan? Yeah, although at Valencia, he was a bit hit and miss mm. at the time in his career, and he's doing great at Wolves with 
some very good players that they bought in the summer thanks to Jorge Mendes who is also his agent like uh, Ruben Neves for example um, and Elda Costa who came before uh, Nuno arrived but it'd be interesting to see him there I'm not just sure he's ready for this kind of job first right. team to stop uh, City scoring in the 90 only. minutes yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam Allardyce also very much in the mix really apparently so apparently a lot of money uh, is um, is riding on, on, on Sam uh, taking over there at Goodison Chris Coleman another option I think it's going to be interesting to see who gets that job because I think we're all assuming that David Unsworth is not long for the, the position. Watford have scored more than twice as many goals as Everton okay. and have done very well away from home in general with Marco Silva. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't have Troy Deeney, though, this weekend. He has been suspended for three games following his uh, attempts to kind of dig a new mouth for Joe Allen, <laughs> um, and th- which is interesting because there was the, he was given a yellow card at the time, so it all goes back to the interpretation of what the yellow card was. And um, I don't know if you remember the incident, but I, I think the only way this can have happened is if the referee said that the yellow card was for pushing over Ryan Shawcross. By the way, I was talking with a couple of former footballers on, on, on the Monday, and they were very much of the opinion that the player who comes out of this of, of that episode worse is Ryan Shawcross. Because little Joe Allen goes and squares up with, with Troy Deeney, and Troy Deeney's well up for it. And Joe's not backing off, to be fair, yeah. but he is about half the size. And... Deeney's all over him. Ryan Shawcross, who's the big fellow, who's meant to be coming in there as the captain, he should be putting his army, he should be separating them. Instead, he just tries to like lean ahead in, but standing behind Joe Allen, using Joe Allen as a, as a shield, and then gets pushed over. Just like pushed over, like a, <laughs> like a stepladder or something. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the, the former pros felt that Shawcross would would not be his his rep, if you like, in, yeah. the, in, the, in the dressing room would the have been... Street cred. Yeah, would have yeah. been really significantly harmed by that more when we know more um salute joe allen though who may keep chickens but isn't one himself says producer ben you aware of that uh, joe allen is famed for his uh aviary pastimes really? yeah. didn't know this yeah yeah no well he has a farm yeah no he was well, in he has chi- chickens he's in well, chicken and an egg magazine house. there you go there you go yeah he's in what He's in Chicken and the Egg magazine, I think. That really? Was, yeah, yeah. Is that a thing? That's someone it was, made yeah. that up. Yeah. Anyway, that's Everton Watford. If you can bear, listeners, we'll do more Premier League games. Uh, the ones from Saturday in a second or two. But first, some of you have, have, have wrote in. Here's Invincible Asterix, who says, you'll be pleased, AC Jim, but that Massimo Macaroni isn't pasta his used-by date. Uh, three goals in his first four for Brisbane Raw, who play in Australia's A-League, of course. We were talking on Monday about people changing positions and who had made the most successful conversion from one role in a football team to another. Yeah, boy, says Joe Payne, who was a defender for Luton, became a striker and netted a record 10 goals against Bristol Rovers in his first game. I have to say, it's pretty hard to beat that. So what? He was a defender. Yeah. In 1936, he was defender okay. for Luton. In 1936, he moved to a forward position and promptly scored 10 goals in his first game against Bristol Rovers. Says, yeah, boy, who might be banking on the fact that, of course, I didn't bother to check any of this. He could have just made that out. Ollie Tucker comes up with a more recent example. He says, Bale, of course, from left back to attacker. But he then rather spoiled it by saying, oh, how about Saul Campbell moving from Arsenal to Spurs? Right. James Milner? James Milner's been all over the shop, hasn't yeah. he? And Javi back Ma- again. Javi Martinez with Bayern Munich. Pilo. Philip Lam as well. Pilo's good show. Yeah. I think most conversations just say Pilo. <laughs> and everyone could just straight <laughs> their chin What's, what's Pilo's 
It went from number ten to playing in front of the defence. Mm. Okay, so that's two, it was that's even two positions, striker, right? I believe it. Uh, yeah. to begin that's with, two positions. We can't be. A, it's two position. Yeah, yeah. He's switched well, from one to the other. Pretty much what we're talking about. No, but the the other the other players that we mentioned have played in more than two positions. Well. Philippe Lam has played in more than two positions. Okay, Jules. No, no, I'm just saying, you sounded like amazed by Pierre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As no, if he was the... My point is that it, it's like that, that... It's like Mornington Crescent or whatever. It's it's the Pirlo game. You just get to a certain point and the first person to say Pirlo wins the conversation. You, you know in France how we call Moussa <laughs> That's Sissoko? how punditry works in this country. Yeah. You know in France, Moussa Sissoko, who uh, a lot of um, Universal fans, Spurs fans, are still amazed that he, he's part of the French national team. Um, but we call him the uh, the Swiss knife in France because Deschamps uses him literally everywhere he wants and he, he can play anywhere. So he uses yeah. him to cut people. That would be, you know. No, the, because the, the Swiss knife is the one mm. where you have all the... Absolutely. Yeah, have you got a Swiss army so knife? Oh, no, I don't think that I used young to. boy's dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got, used to have I got one. my Swiss army knife uh, confiscated at uh, coming through security at Barcelona Airport. I'm not surprised. No, no but... You can take it. I, I got it from England to Spain because the knife wasn't. There's a certain knife that you can't take bigger than, and the yeah. Swiss Army knife specifically falls within that size. But the, they didn't care about that at Barcelona the, Airport. Know, the well, question I, is, why are you carrying a Swiss knife on you? To, to well, because well, it can not, because it can do anything. When, when, when is the last time you used it? Uh, quite recently, actually. <laughs> honestly, when when Michael, what did you well, do with your Swiss Army knife? No, you could. Do that, you, you just said you can do it. Also, they have screwdrivers. There is a screwdriver with my the tweezers. I the bottle yeah. opener. I use the bottle opener. There you go, the bottle opener. Oh, yeah. I had a water pistol uh, confiscated getting on a plane. Did you actually? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a long journey. That was one. it. A su- <laughs> was it a super soaker? <laughs> no, no, it was just a, a small one. Um, Why did you have that in your luggage? Boom. Uh, it, no, that's <laughs> at least the Swiss knife. I get it. The water pistol going. Joel Robertson says, given that the big clubs need a top goalkeeper, why has Andanovic not been poached from Inter? This is a, a long running question, isn't it, James? Well, I think uh, he was close to going to PSG um, yeah. not too long ago. Why didn't he? Um, because I think Inter threw a load of money at him. Um, but uh, yeah, he's someone who has at times expressed a frustration um, at Inter. Um, yeah, he joined that club thinking that they were going to be a regular Champions League team, and they haven't been in the Champions League uh, for a long time. But um, it looks like uh, they will be next season. So mm. okay, it's, it's, uh, his cousin, of course, is at Maribor, who saved the penalty saved last the night penalty. from Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. And, and Danovic himself is a fantastic penalty-saving goalkeeper. Simon says, I'm flying out for the Genoa Sam game. Any love for this derby on the pod? Oh, oh yeah, the, of course. It's one of the best. Why, why do you like that one the best? Because the it, it, feels like a, it feels like a cross between an English and a South American derby. English in the sense that you're right on top of the pitch. South American in terms of the choreography, lots of kind of uh, literal kind of waves. Um, and uh, yeah, it's... Literal waves. Well, it, they, they they make it look like there's a wave. Oh, it's on undulating. The, yes, it's undulating exactly, and uh, it should be a um, a good game because I mean, as as they say, form goes out the window on on Derby Day. Um, Genoa, I think, made their worst start since the fifties. Samp, perfect at home at Marassi, won every single game so far. Um, really attractive side to watch under Marco Giampaolo, who did the double over Genoa last year, became the first. Sam managed to do that since the 50s. So, mm. yeah. And Lucas Torreiro, a threat from anywhere. Oh, yeah, Re- Roberto Carlos. How like, far out kick. was that? About 35, 40 yeah. yards. No war. No, no. David no war. Priest, take yeah. that. Yeah. I think you find it's the form book goes out the window. It's yes. not for, it's a literal thing. You literally <laughs> throw it out the window. Yeah. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. And some have the best show in the world, so. Yeah. 
I was just going to say Roberto Mancini, who is probably the, would he be the ultimate symbol of Sampdoria? Sampdoria him, him and uh, Luca Vialli. Okay. Yeah, that that that, that double act, the Gemelli da Gol. Certainly, he final. put in the years. Uh, he always regarded the most beautiful jersey in football as ah Blackburn Rovers. Blackburn Rovers. Yeah. yeah he, he he asked for people to send them out. In, oh, yeah, in fact, he made his really? Sam third trip to be like yeah. Blackburn Rovers because yeah. he was so impressed with it. <laughs> it is a nice trip, that old kind of classic Alan Shearer, Sutton kind mm. of checkered thing. Sometimes where are they now, Blackburn Rovers? What are they doing now? Yeah, League One. League One. Yeah. Yeah. But weird thing, if you look at Blackburn's kits They like chickens as well, don't they? They do. Maybe Joe <laughs> Allen. <laughs> Joe Allen could be the poster boy there. I'm sorry, we're, we're joking about this, but it's... Uh, yeah. Sorry, Michael. No, if you look at Blackburn's kit historically, sometimes the blue is on the left and sometimes it's on the right, which is a weird inconsistency. You'd think it'd be the same every season. Hmm. You were not talking about show. You were not impressed with Monaco last night. What was what it again? Me. The font. What did you say? The font ah, on the shirt. That's you didn't so true. like that, did you? Yeah, there were some really questionable decisions <laughs> uh, in midweek. One was certainly Man City's uh, choice of travelling uniform, which in- involved a denim denim shirt under a jacket. It didn't for me. For me, it didn't. And work. a tie, I think they've got a tie as well. With the denim shirt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Then there was Mauricio Pochettino's hair. It's gone all kind of chestnutty, yeah. and it's ill-advised. Uh, I would suggest. I mean, phase it in gradually. That kind of a gradual. It's a prerequisite for a super manager these days. What isn't a it? hair transplant. Klopp, Conte, Pochettino's mm. done this. Yeah, I'm not sure if he and has. Zola. So, well, yeah, you said I said super yeah, good manager. managers. <laughs> Come now, uh, but yes, you're absolutely right, Jules. Uh, Monaco taking the field away in Istanbul with a, a jersey which featured and an quite a large typeface. Yeah. Comic Sans as their font for the names. I don't. Is there ever a time for Comic Sans? No, I was no. completely unaware of that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, they don't normally do this, do they? No, I don't think so. Yeah, but I know the guy who, well, the head of marketing who's in charge. So I'll have a word for you. Right. Do, have you, do you ever use Comic Sans? No. Okay. I got. I was recently working with somebody who sent me kind of pro, scripts okay. for program, and it was all in Comic Sans. <laughs> all in Comic Sans. Right. What do you do? I don't know, I don't know. Yes, yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Send anyway. an email back in an aggressive, different font. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Gossip>. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, um, speaking of uh, fonts, uh, West Ham can't use theirs this weekend when they host Liverpool. Did you see? <laughs> uh, I wondered where you were going, but no, I, I, I got it. Okay. So uh, that's on Saturday. A whole series of games going on on Saturday. West Ham hosting Liverpool. Liverpool coming off back-to-back 3-0 wins, Michael. Yeah. You're shaping to say something about this. What is it? No, just I'm going to this game. Oh, are you so, going yeah. along? Yeah. Have you been sent or did you choose this as being particularly interesting? A bit of both. I chose it before I realised I was going to be missing a fireworks party, actually. So I hope there's fireworks on the pitch, etc. All right, But nice. uh, I, I feel like West Ham could be up for this game. And, of course, they've got uh, Mr Andy Carroll up front who, um, you know, will be out for... He won't be out for revenge, but he's the kind of player that Liverpool have problems with, basically. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Liverpool, of course, won 4-0, I think, at their last visit to yeah. to the London Stadium. Do you envisage them having a similarly easy time? No, I, I think they'll have to, to work for this one. And, and indeed, work might be the kind of the key thing, considering, you know, talk about West Ham's lack of distance covered in their running stats and Liverpool very intense side. Liverpool do have injuries, though. The doubts about Coutinho and Lovren. Hmm. Aldum's out. Mane's still out. Obviously, Klein and Lallana, long-term absences. And, you know, Liverpool are a side um, who, when they don't have their first 11 out, you know, just a couple of absences and they really do fall apart with players moving into different positions. I still think Liverpool will win, but I think it will be a bit of a 
hard slog. Okay. Also coming up on Saturday, you've got that avian derby between Swansea and Brighton. Brighton, should we... Uh, I know we're, we're, what, a quarter of the way into the season? We can t- take the table seriously now, can't we? Because they're all the way up in, he checks, 12th place. But, you, you know, a win, they could be up almost on the verge of the, the European positions quietly. Chris Hutton's putting together an absolutely brilliant run there. Have they not made the signing of the season in Pascal Gross? Pascal Gross? Yeah. I mean, gross margins. Very nicely done, James. But also, he's playing really well. He's involved in all their goals. Is it two goals and five assists, I think, for him? Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a good list of uh, very exclusive players who've uh, managed five assists in their first ten Premier League games ever. He's up there with Tadic, Di Maria, Ozil, Robin, Ginola and Lee Sharp. Wow. Wow. Okay. And here's the other thing. They're playing Swansea. In Swansea, where the Swans are having a lot of problems, Brighton on the road, they just picked up a 3-0 win at West Ham, and then they got a point against Southampton. Key man in both cases, Glenn Murray. How yeah. much of a surprise is that, Jules? It's I find I find this guy fascinating to to be able to do so well in the Championship with Bournemouth, for example, and then with Brighton. Clearly, you know, taking those teams up, and then usually struggling in the Premier League. I mean, so many players have are good enough just for the Championship and under or even League One and under, but never can cut in the Championship or even the Premier League, etc. And it mm. seems that this time maybe the good one for him because he was really good, I thought, against West Ham. If you play to his strength, it's always the same. If you don't, then he's struggling a bit more. But Gross and him seems to have a really good understanding as well. Yeah, that was supposed to be the thing about Brighton, though. They hadn't, they hadn't gone out and got a goal scorer. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think Swans are a little bit the same. I know Tammy Abraham's done well. I'm not mm. quite sure he's going to score enough to keep them up. Okay. Swansea are just goal difference outside the bottom three, which features Everton on eight points, AFC Bournemouth on seven and Palace on the four. Burnley beat Newcastle on Monday after our most recent pod. And that was uh, Hendrick, wasn't it? Got the goal there. One nil. Uh, Burnley will be visiting Saints. Yeah, Manolo Gabbiadini has been talking in the Italian papers uh, today. Bigging up Sofian Buffal, he oh, said. Man. He said, "Get me started." He would please. be if if he played five aside, he would be the Maradona of five aside. But eleven aside as well. What was Pellegrini? Oh, I I don't understand. But he's never done much. Has it? How many goals has he scored? Two. Buffal? But but he's never played. He hasn't played him this season. Last season was. Last season did he play? But he had an injury. He had a bad injury. There was a time to adapt for him coming into you know this league, right? And in a team that was not really attacking much right and this season when he's fit he's ready he goes in and then he plays him 10 minutes there 15 minutes there and then he scored that wonderful Maradona-esque in a way good mm-hmm. two weeks ago yeah and then suddenly it looks like people are saying oh well actually he can play that kid he's not but of course he is he's, he's outstanding if you give him the chance and if you put him in a in a role where you know, he's quite free to get the ball a bit wherever he wants on the pitch and do his thing. But the talent is incredible. He's one of the most skillful players. I promise you, one of the most skillful players. And not because he's French, but one of the most skillful players I've ever seen in my life. OK, we'll see if Buffal gets the start against Burnley on Saturday. I should. Uh, want to ask you about Claude Puel, yeah? who, as you know, is now at Leicester. Did you see that coming? No, but I don't think it's a bad, uh, bad choice for him and for them. Right. I, think he, I think people are really harsh with Puel after the season he had at Southampton where they finished 8th in the league and, and lost that League Cup final against United a game they probably should have won and and I think his, his plan over the three years that his contract was was to always have a very strong first season whatever the style of football whatever the way they were playing 
just to have a, a very solid base and then build on that to maybe you know get a bit more attacking and and a nicer style of football if you want but he never had the time to do that because they sacked him after a year Alester he wants to have a bit more of the ball that's why he put Riyad Mahrez instead of keeping him wide just mm. behind Jamie Vardy like they did uh, in his first game against Everton and it'd be interesting to see to see how they do but he's a really good manager right particularly with young players or in general no in general but with young players I think Damara Gray and Chilwell will, who he started for his first game mm. um, would benefit a lot from him he's a very uh, disciplined serious manager he you know, he once got injured um, by taking part of training session with the players and wanted to win so badly at training that he sort of overplayed and uh, and got injured. There's like also t- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was also that time at Nice where things were not really going well and the ultras uh, walked in the dress- the training ground and threw a dildo at him. They threw what at him? A dildo. <laughs> Appeared. Yeah. Wow. That's his, that's the lowest point of his career. Right, so far, so far. Uh, That's exciting. And Ria Mahrez, if that move to the number 10 role can reignite his passion uh, for the game, is (laughs) is it fair to suggest that maybe his interest has waned a little bit in Uh, in, in, in Leicester after the failure of his move away? I would say, from what, uh, not that I know that, Mm. but from what I've seen and felt, that he's picked his game so far this season. So I think the motivation is still there, but only when he wants to. And, you know, it's been the case a few times in his career. All right. Bournemouth are at Newcastle, uh, the other game, uh, and just down the road, Sunderland have fired... Simon Grayson, poor chap. Uh, Daniel Story pointing out, do you know who the last Sunderland manager to pass 100 matches in charge was? Steve Bruce. Mick McCarthy. 11 men have failed to do so since. 11 men have failed to get to triple figures as in, in yeah. games as manager at but Sunderland. They're used to 11 so men failing, aren't they? Well, well, I suppose that's true. Mm. Yeah. Is it true they've been through two managers since their last one at home? Wow, that's quite a worrying thought. But why would you appoint Simon Grayson in the first place anyway? Because he'd done well. Because he's rubbish. Why is he rubbish, Jules? He'd done <laughs> well at Leeds. No? Done well at Leeds in terms of what? Finishing what What there was... I don't know. I just remember him, people going up Simon Grayson. <laughs> yeah. He's beat United at Old Trafford. Okay, that's but, fine. But, yeah. I think he's dreadful. Right. Okay. Well, certainly that wouldn't have done any... Uh, any good to his CV 15 minutes after full time in their 3-3 draw with bottom of the table Bolton no longer bottom of the table at Bolton uh, he was given his marching orders they say that Kevin Phillips might be taking over wow Kevin Ball <laughs> Peter Reid also among the bookies favourites wow that's a real they know the club shortlist isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah problems problems Listeners, I've got one or two things to ask Jules, James and Michael. Stick around for that and then we'll be done with you. Producer Ben here, people. And you know, I was talking to our friend Raphael Honigstein recently and he was telling me when it comes to cars, he drives a BMW. When it comes to sausage, it's got to be Bratwurst. When it comes to pudding, it's Black Forest Gatto. And when it comes to stubble, he is all about Cornerstone. Why? It's all about the German engineering, of course. Cornerstone super sharp blades are made in the fatherland so you know you're getting the absolute best. And right now, you can pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. All you have to do is head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Jules, 
Yes. Who's the first defender to score a hat-trick in the history of the Champions League? Levin Kozava. He can't defend, but God, he could attack on uh, Tuesday night. Yeah. Against Belgians and elect. I know, I know. Yeah, no, but still. Why was he so angry, asks uh, Dean Muteropoulos. Uh, why did Levin Kruzawa uh, seem so angry at the PSG fans after scoring that hat-trick? No, I don't think it was for the PSG fan, it was for the, the, the press ah. because he's been heavily criticised recently for, as I said, not being very good defensively. Mm. Um, and that was the shush, especially after the first goal. The shush, oh, was, for, it a shush. The shush was for the press, which, again, it's one of, I don't know what the boys think. The guy hasn't been good. So when you're not good and you're a, fo- a professional football player, especially a you know, one like him in a big club, plays mm. for your country, you get criticised. What's wrong with that? And then for you to then come and shush people... In I a moment was, of joy. Exactly. Mm. And you know what? He scored a hat-trick and then snubbed the press in the mix zone after the game because he's not happy the way he got criticised. He was criticised because he was not good for no other reasons. You're not good, you get criticised. You're good, you get... Praised. That's, 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 that's the way it works for everybody, not just Kyozawa, everybody. So I thought that was a bit much coming from him to shush people and then not even not even talk after, like you said, which was quite you know, history of the Champions This is League. the Nasri protocol now. This is what they teach you at Clairefontaine. This is, this is... <laughs> um, in Paris, they're still talking about there being clans. Yeah. Is that true, Jules? It is true. Uh, it is true. Do you think do there's you think tensions Neymar's... between Emery and Neymar, which yeah. is the bigger, the biggest thing for me? The clans in every club, there's you can't be friends with everybody, especially people from your own country. You you tend to stick with them. Mm. So the Brazilians are a lot together in the PSG dressing room, which again I don't I don't have a problem with that. My issue is the the, the relationship between Emery and. And Neymar, Neymar just doesn't rate Emery as a manager. He thinks, for example, the uh, the video sessions that they do, especially the one on the opposition, is far too long. Doesn't like that. Doesn't rate him as a manager, and and it's a problem. If you want to win the Champions League, because yeah. they're going to win everything else in France, you can't have tensions like that between your best player and your and your manager. Are you beginning to regret this super signing that they made? No, because it can work. And and you know what? On Tuesday, he for the first time in a long time, Neymar actually played for the team and you saw the difference. Everybody played. And even Marco Verratti, who's you know who's, who's good friend with Neymar, at the end said on French television, when we all play for each other, it's so much better, it's so much easier because in the last few games before Tuesday, they didn't. And Neymar was responsible for that in many ways. And when he does play for the team... It's much better. So let's hope he can do that in, in at least the big games because they don't need that so much in the, in the smaller games. They will still win even if they're all very selfish and, in, in, you know, plays individually. Yeah. But yeah, that tension, I don't like that. That bothers me. OK. They're four points clear in Ligue 1. Monaco in second place are almost out of the Champions League. Ranieri update. His uh, Nantes have dropped to fifth now. Is that right? Yeah, they lost at the weekend. He forgot to lock the door. And Dijon came in, stole everything in the house and then left. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Also in real trouble, in penultimate place, M- Michael, how about this? Marcelo Bielsa with Lille, who was supposed to be one of the new wave of kind of big investment French clubs, instead are currently heading down, to, well, as it stands, to Ligue 2. Yeah, I hope they give me a bit of time because if you look at Bielsa's recent career, 
Um, he does generally take time to get the players on board and up to speed. I remember with Atletico How long? Well, 10 games is, is stretching it a bit. I remember when he went... Because after about 30, they started to get burnt out. So. Yeah. Well, that, well that, <laughs> that is the problem. I mean, if you look at how he did with Atletico Bilbao, they were terrible in the first seven games. Okay. They won a derby at Sociedad, then were brilliant. And then by the last two games of the season, they were knackered. So right. hopefully he gets some time because sometimes when you give him time, he can create something fantastic. But, okay. Yeah, that's looking dodgy. Hmm. Problems at the bottom for Bielsa, a bit like when he sat on that espresso. <laughs> uh, That's cooler, yeah. A big game coming up Sunday night as Ass, speaking of bottoms, take on Leon. That's the big game, the whole derby. Yeah. Yeah, exceptional on right. Sunday nights. Italy, James? Indeed. Uh, last weekend, there was that huge Juve Milan clash, mm-hmm. uh, and which Milan played well in, I felt. I heard you opining that had they swapped the strikers, Kalinic and Higuain, Kalinic, who wasted Milan's chances, and Higuain, who put away Juve's two goals, that it would have been Milan that won. That that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Milan didn't do badly in this game no. at all. It was relatively even, and yeah, I think the the striker was the uh, was the difference um, on the night. Um, Kalinic fluffed. Uh, a couple of chances, albeit um, I think one of the unsung heroes of that Juventus win was Buffon, who again mm. rolled back the years and, and made another big save. Um, What's the situation now with Montella? Well, it doesn't seem to have changed all that much because I think the focus is now turning on the board, um, the new board and the decisions that they made in the summer and the strategy that they um, decided to pursue because overhauling a squad which had done quite well last year and getting to sixth. Um, in fact, many people thought Montella overperformed given the squad that he had available to him. Overhauling that, no continuity with last year, it was always going to be a big problem. And I think there's a recognition um, that if they were to sack the manager, it wouldn't solve the problems that they've got. And also, people have made this case that maybe the, 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 the reason why the hand has stayed the execution there is because they're, they're maybe waiting for some movement on Conte um, but I think this job becomes less appealing by, by the week for a, for a new incoming really? manager why because of the, the, the because of the financial instability at the club because you know all these reports about um, Lee Yong Hong um, who bought the club looking for investors um, you know whether they can actually get um, their vol- uh, this voluntary agreement from UEFA to make them bypass financial fair play. I think that's going to be a really tough ask. And also, you know, in terms of attracting a manager like Conte, yeah, I think Conte's done with basically um, taking teams who are outside the Champions League, winning the league with them, spending another year outside the Champions League. Now, I think for Conte, it's time he proved himself in Europe. And I think Milan at the moment, while it would remain attractive in terms of relaunching that club, they couldn't, you know, it mean going there and spending another year outside the Champions League, which you know I, I think is 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 a would be a problem. Also, if they don't get the Champions League this year, which looks unlikely, they're probably going to have to sell one or two of their big name players, which makes it even less appealing. I mean, they can still win the Europa League, mm-hmm. and that would, been doing brilliantly yeah, so far. They, they could go to the Champions League, but talking about the Europa League, I think that's the worst thing that could have happened to them this year because with all those new players mm. and Montella fields. Yeah seven or eight of all of those new ones in the league, you don't have time to work because every Thursday you're playing. So in a week where you would have no games, for example, if you were not in Europe, you would have so much time to work and, and you know, use Bonucci and, and sort of integrate all those new signings mm. into the team. You can't do that because you play Sunday and then you play Thursday again and then you play Sunday again and you play, and there's no time just there, then international break and 
80% of them go away and then they come and it's just ins- and I can see why Montella is a bit struggling because they've got no bearings playing with each other because there's no the training behind to get them all used with each other that's a very good point Jules very good point indeed uh, four Champions League places next season or at the end of this season four Italian sides those four places currently occupied by Napoli Inter Lazio and Juventus uh, with just three points separating the four of them who's your money on? Well, I mean, this Goulam injury could change things. Um, I think it's a, it's a really exciting title race. Uh, Juventus have a depth that Napoli just don't have. Um, but I think most neutrals, romantics, would like to see Napoli do it um, for, the, for, for the football that they play. Um, I think it's, it's kind of quite interesting that uh, there's the, the story at the other end of the table um, with Benevento, who uh, have lost every game uh, this season. Uh, they changed their manager and appointed a guy who got sacked by Palermo who'd, uh, after he lost seven straight. <laughs> so it was seen as a continuity signing. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, yeah, they go to Juventus this week uh, oh, looking, oh, for their, looking for their first win. Which I mean, it would be amazing if they got it there, but uh, it seems distinctly unlikely. Um, but, yeah, they're breaking all kinds of records as just being the worst team in Europe, the worst team in Italy, or well, worst start as uh, uh, is made in Italy. Um, I think Venezia in 49-50 lost their first seven, but Benevento now on 11. So they're, they're now gunning in the Hall of Shame for the, uh, the worst losing streak of all time at any period of the season, which was Brescia in uh, 94-95, really? when they lost 15 in a row between February and, and May. Um, I think the only redeeming feature of that was they gave a 16-year-old Pirlo uh, his Serie A debut. Um, in, oh, uh, he's won this conversation as well. <laughs> was that so. with Florian Radicoy? Was, the, um, was that when they had Radicoy there? I mean, they had some really talented players. Mm. Borgo Novo. Um, I think who else? I don't think Hadji was there. Luchescu was in charge at one stage right. but got sacked. Um, but yeah, so... Um, yeah, Benevento uh, gunning for that as wow. well. The All Benevento right. thing, I, I don't know if people appreciate this reference, but it reminds me of when Minardi were in Formula One. And just every, <laughs> every race, like, like you wait to see who won the race. And then sometimes about, hey, maybe Minardi will finally get a point. And they never did. <laughs> yeah. Or a bit like Akin Faith and Clean Sheets. Yeah. yeah. Champions League. All right, then. Well, that's it then for today's Totally Football Show. I hope that set you up nicely for another great weekend of football. Michael, you're heading off to the London Stadium. What else you got planned? Uh, no, that's it. Just taking my binoculars there. Nice. And your Swiss Army knife, I hope. I won't get it in, probably. Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't Don't got it anymore, we know, so. <laughs> we know what we're going to get you for Christmas. Right. Yeah. Okay. Secret Santa. Nice. Julian, thank you so much for being with us today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. James Horncastle. Pleasure. And Michael Cox and you listeners. We'll be back on Monday. I do hope you'll join us then. Bye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.